Welcome to Puzzling It Out, Thoughts and Perspectives from a Clinical Psychologist. Hello, my name is Dr. Gail Lewis, clinical psychologist practicing on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and your podcast host. The title of today's podcast is The Analytic Blank Slate v. The 2020 Election. And it was in response to a session that I just had that made me realize that this is something I wanted to talk about. Now, many of you um, who are listening are not in the field and may not be familiar with the term blank slate. When I was learning how to be a psychologist and primarily learning from classically trained psychoanalysts, and when I say classically trained psychoanalysts, I mean people who are trained to work in a, in a very particular way, um, which includes not showing facial reactions to what is being said to you, not having the 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 tenor of your voice change that would be revealing of a feeling that you might be having to what you're being told, uh, a reaction that you might be having to what you're being told, and um, to not reveal your own thoughts and feelings about what's happening in the treatment. And the reasoning for this is that you want to keep the space, the consultation space between patient and therapist as clean as possible. And by that, I mean to keep the space as open as possible for the patient to be able to do and say whatever they need to do and say within the consultation space and to not be in any way um, affected and therefore potentially censored by the therapist's reactions, things they might know about the therapist based on their reactions. And in the same line, this particular issue might come up when patients, as they invariably do, ask a therapist about personal information. And the way that I work when that happens is that if it's for the first time, I make it more of an educative experience where I validate the understandability, is that a word? Um, how understandable it is for a patient to ask a therapist who they are um, and various aspects of their life outside of the, the office. After all, you're two people in a room uh, talking with each other, having a very intimate connection with each other, and 100% of the dialogue is about the patient. It is not about the therapist. But when you have two people talking with each other and in a space for such a considered period of time, understandably, curiosity develops 
about who this person is, who is who I'm relying on, who I'm entrusting my inner soul with. Uh, what's what's her story? What's his story? And so when I when I educate people when this first comes up, I validate the um, the questions and the curiosity that they might want to ask and they might have and I explain what I just explained and what I ultimately say is um, I encourage you to ask whatever questions you have on your mind however I see questions in the same way that I see anything that that comes out of your mouth I treat a question the same way I create I treat a statement that it speaks to something that's going on with you I wonder what makes a person ask a particular question about my personal life in the context of what's happening in the work at that time. Usually it's, it, it plays a function in what we're talking about. And much like when a child, a small child, asks a question um, and you try to understand what it is that they're asking and wondering why they're asking that question. More often than not, a small child really is not looking for the answer. They're looking for something else. They're looking to be heard. They're looking to be paid attention to in a particular way. Or they have an entirely different question that they, they want an answer to. But it's the question they ask you that they were able to get out. So not in a infantilizing way but I, I treat questions similarly that uh, patients don't always want to know the answer to the question personal to the therapist that, that they're asking it's usually about something else and my first step is and I explain this is to explore what's bringing up the question at that point um, what it is they think my answer might be, what that meaning that might have for them, how they arrived at that assumption that I would answer in the way that they're assuming, and that if I feel that my answer, my honest answer, would be suitable and useful in facilitating the forward movement of our work together, once this has been explored, I'll answer the question. However, if I feel that my answer is going to occlude the space in that it's going to in some way have the potential of causing the patient to at some point in the near future censor something they might say because now they know something about me and they don't want to offend me, they don't want to um, get in a conflict with me, a variety of things might come up that they might not say what it is that they need to say. And I wouldn't want that to happen because the space that I create is for the patient, not for me. So I, I'm explaining all of that because it, it, it speaks to this whole idea of a blank slate. And when I started working, um, I was instructed that I needed to stay neutral. I needed everything that I do and say to be neutral. And I remember when I was, I think when I was in my analytic training, I was working with a patient for some time 
this was before I was in private practice and um, and this patient that I was working with uh, said something to me that was very um, to her was very upsetting um, and I can't recall at the moment what it was but it was very upsetting to her and there was something about what she said how she said it that hit a nerve for me and I started crying and I think that was the first time that I cried in a session with a patient and my first internal dialogue that I had was shit I'm not supposed to do this in front of a patient um, this is a mistake at, at the same time I, I was aware that sometimes you, you can't help it <laughs> sometimes you know, you know crying most of the times is an involuntary action it's not voluntary uh, so you know, I tried to compose myself and my patient didn't say anything about me crying but I then uh, got back to my analytic stance and I asked her how she felt about me crying and I remember one one aspect of her response she said that it made me seem more human which of course is for me was that was a very validating observation to make. And as I've continued to work, I realized over the years that I'm not very good at the blank slate thing. And in fact, I have deigned to stop aspiring to having a blank slate manner of working. It's just not, it's just not how I just not how I do work so you know I often um, I often joke to patients that I have a terrible poker face I don't know how to play poker but that if I did I would probably have so many tells that I would lose in the first hand but I, I have a very um, expressionful face and I often I'm often unaware as to what my face is conveying um, and it's often pointed out to me by my patient you know wondering what what I'm thinking um, or what I'm feeling based on what my face is doing uh, so sometimes it's a dissociated experience for me sometimes I'm quite aware of my facial expressions and you know also I while I try to adhere to this idea of a psychologist, a psychoanalyst in the way that I work is not about giving opinions, it's not about giving advice. There are times that I do give opinions. There, there are times that I do give advice uh, that I, I will explore as much as possible prior to doing so, but sometimes it's, in my opinion, in a particular moment, needed. Um, and I don't feel, and obviously I can't be objective about this because I'm a participant observer in the process, 
I don't feel that it has been an impingement on the honesty that is coming from my patients in the office. I don't feel that it has censored my patients. But then again, maybe it has. Maybe it has. Maybe they're not telling me. So um, to go back to the title of today's podcast uh, about the blank slate versus the 2020 election, this is one of those times. Actually, you know what? Scratch that. I'm going to go back to something that happened many, many years ago um, when I was supervising a group of students who were interns and externs and it was a trauma supervision group meaning we were we would talk about cases meaning individuals who were presenting and talking about issues that related to having been traumatized in some way and it was a group setting so there were several huh, I think probably eight may give or take people in the room and this was at the time when um, Al Gore was running against George Bush. And um, as many of you know from history, it was a very close election, had to go to the Supreme Court, and George Bush ultimately won. And I did something that I didn't realize at the time was incredibly insensitive and incredibly off-putting. I didn't, from the start, I should have applied this idea of neutrality as best as I could to the supervisory experience as well as to the clinical experience in, in my office. And I didn't. Um, I made it very well known that I was angry that Al Gore did not win. And several of the people in the group were in agreement with me. And following this group, one of the members who is now a very good friend of mine, um, spoke to me about how offended she was about what I did and how uncomfortable it made her that I introduced politics and my opinion about it into the supervisory experience um, and that she did not agree with me um, not just about what I did, but about my opinion. And it left her feeling very vulnerable and very angry and very um, attacked. And right now I can't remember um, whether or not there was an actual verbal attack on her, if she had actually said anything about her political opinion. I'm not I don't, I don't remember that, but I do know that when we spoke about it, it was her experience that she felt that it was, what I did was off-putting and put her in a very uncomfortable 
and difficult situation and it caused her to question her trust in me. In our subsequent meeting, I, um, I acknowledged this and I apologized. I apologized to her privately and I, I apologized in the group um, and it was a very good lesson learned. Okay, back to today's podcast about being neutral versus the 2020 election. Um, I myself am not neutral about this election. I honestly, I don't know anybody who is neutral about this election. It's the way that the way that everything is going politically, it's hard not to feel the divisiveness of it and have it settle on you, in you, in, in a way that's not affecting you. Um, even if you consider yourself to be the most blank slate of people, I, I, I really do find it to be very difficult. Um, when the 2016 election was going on, uh, it was it was quite obvious that the differences of opinion um, and subsequent election of Donald Trump n not only was you know, be became that much more divisive, but as many of you well know, it 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 caused divisiveness not just in our culture but in families between friends, where family members couldn't talk to each other, wouldn't talk to each other, friendships ended. Um, you know, th this has happened with me personally. Everybody I know um, has a story to tell where, you know, they talk about, you know, I see this friend, but I, I can't discuss this with them. Um, you know, other people I know are very willing to have a conversation and find it to be uh, constructive until it's not. That having a different opinion and being able to dialogue about it can be a very informative and useful experience. A lot of people, however, do not feel that way. And I think the current spirit of our society has made that feeling of disparity of opinion to be that much more profound and that much more um, separate from one another that having a dialogue about differences between the presidential candidates and what they stand for um, is is impossible to talk about in a way that feels reasonable for for either person on either side of the spectrum. So I have in my practice um, most people talk about the election. Most people bring it up as part of their sessions. Um, because they have a lot of feelings about it, because they have fears, they have anxiety, they have um, 
they have issues related to COVID, for example, that they feel are impacted by what's going on politically, which um, many people feel very strongly about. And I, I find myself very often struggling internally with how, how to make space for this without um, impinging upon the space with my own opinions and my own feelings, which are very strong. Um, and the, the possibility of being neutral about this topic, even in the analytic space, um, for me, feels, if not impossible, next to impossible. I am sure there are clinicians out there who work from a more classical model of which I spoke in the beginning of this podcast, who do not convey their feelings about what's going on. Um, I think also what might make that easier in such a situation is that if you are seeing a classical, a classically trained psychoanalyst, um, it's quite possible that you're laying on the couch, you're laying on the analytic couch, that Freudian couch that you see in movies and television shows. And if someone is, a patient is laying on the couch, the analyst chair is behind their head. So they're not seeing the analyst's face. And there are so many reasons why that setup is considered to be a very useful way of treatment, but I don't need to go into that here. The, my, my point is that that setup prevents the patient from seeing the therapist's facial reactions. Um, which frees up the, the therapist, the analyst, to be able to you know, freely, facially react in whatever way they need to without fearing that it's going to interfere with the patient's free association and, um, and dialogue that is happening during the session. Um, but for me... I, my practice, well, right now, um, I'm not doing Zoom sessions with someone on the analytic couch. My Zoom sessions are face-to-face. And as I mentioned earlier, I do not have a poker face. So um, it's, it's really challenging um, to... If I'm working with someone who supports a candidate that is not, who is not someone that I support, I really have to gird myself. Um, and I tend to be a pretty talkative psychoanalyst. Um, my sessions are more dialoguing uh, versus just sitting back and listening and nodding my head and you know, doing that very cliched, how does that make you feel? Sometimes I will ask that, but it's not, it's not done in the cliched way. So um, 
me being more of a chatty clinician, um, that would likely change in a particular session. If someone's talking about, right now, talking about politics in a way that I don't agree, I'm much more likely to take a more um, backseat position where I'm present, but I'm I'm doing more validating and I'm doing more more listening and I'm not as quick to offer a perspective or um, make an interpretation, which probably is something I should be doing with people whose political bents are the same as mine. But I find that I'm less likely to do that. And I wonder, as I'm, I'm speaking about this right now, because I haven't always asked, and I say more often than not, I haven't asked. I wonder if that makes any of my clientele feel as if I am taking up too much room, even just by a nod of agreement or a smile or by some kind of silent acknowledgement, a verbal acknowledgement. Um, so this is, this is an ever-evolving experience. And I'm, I wanted to talk about this because it's, it's such a real, current, ongoing issue that I thought we might all think about together um, and think about how, if you're not a clinician, how this might be affecting your personal relationships in terms of your openness or your needing to shut down or you needing to move away from people or moving towards people or whether or not it's appropriate in a situation to bring up politics. We were taught at a very young age, I think all of us, that when you're in a social situation, there are two topics you don't bring up, politics and religion. Well, um, these days, not bringing up politics something that we might be inclined to do, but it's very, it's very hot right now. Um, and it can be quite difficult not to. I can tell you from my point of view, it's difficult to sit with it all the time, um, apart from my practice. It's more difficult to sit with, which is my job when it comes up in session. Um, and believe me, I am as human as the rest of you. I would love at times to just jump in and be passionately expressive about what's going on for me about this. But 99.9% .9 of the time, I don't. And I can't 
for all the reasons I gave. Okay, that's all for today. I want to thank you all for listening, as always. If you have any questions, opinions, comments, on my website, on the podcast page, there is a place for comments. My website is drgaillewis.com. Um, there's also a page if you'd like to schedule an appointment. Um, you can fill that out, and I get an email indicating that you filled that out. My email address and my office phone number are also on my website if you'd like to reach out and talk about this or anything else that you're interested in discussing. I hope everybody's doing what they can to stay safe. I hope that everybody is really um, investing in self-care and doing whatever they can to take care of not just themselves but the people around them who they love. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye.